0: introduced me, my name is Mornay, I have moved in the past few years, I've moved three times, <laughs> um, we, I basically was in Edgemead and then moved to Stellenbosch for nine months, I was part of the chain there, and then they relocated us to Somerset West, which is just, it's a terrible move, eh, being in Somerset West, yo, I mean, you've got the ocean, you've got nice coffee shops, you've got mountains, mountain biking, Yeah, this is rough word, yeah you see now I think i I must maybe move to Bloom. Yeah. No, it's tough there uh, yes <laughs> I will definitely not move for the scenery, but crap <laughs> you um, <laughs> Let me just start my timer as well. Um, no, I don't know where my wife is, but yeah, most of you know my wife Rebecca um, she's quite the looker, so uh for me, that is so uh, yeah, if you see her, she's got a big smile you you're welcome to greet her and uh Yeah, it's just been amazing being here in Bloom for about a week and a half now already. We leave back to Cape Town tomorrow morning. So, uh, yeah, just sad that I couldn't get to know all the other faces here. Um, But you guys look awesome. It looks like you guys are doing well. A bunch of awesome, good-looking people. Not in a weird way, just in a good-looking for Jesus. Woohoo, yeah. (laughs) Brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, So, yeah, let me start off. (laughs) So, for those who are taking notes and who love to put a title to your notes, I do that, otherwise I don't know what I'm writing down. The title of my sermon this morning or my preach is clear, you know, like clear with an exclamation mark, you know. So, you know, like in the when they do surgeries and so on and they need to, like, almost resus a person, you know, the, the doctor shouts, clear, and then like, and the person is like, boom, you know, like in the whole bed and everything. So, I'm going to do that again, so it's like, clear, okay, so if you want a title, your notes, you can write down clear. (laughs) All right, Judy, if you can put up the first few ones. So this morning, oh wait, um, sorry, can I ask you to put up the scripture, please, in Revelation 3. So this morning, I'm sharing from a piece of scripture in in Revelation 3, from verse 1 to 6, and I'm just quickly going to read that for us, and it says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God, And the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis. People who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed, thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And when I read, off oh, sure. <laughs> and I actually told Paul, this is, one of, like, this is the nicer letter that Jesus wrote to some of the churches in Revelation. And when I read this piece of Scripture for the first time, the one thing that came to mind was advertising. And the reason I say this is because obviously you get these advertisements, and it's portrayed as this amazing product, and it's awesome. And then you sort of use the product, and it's like, it's, it's not what they're saying it is. <laughs> so if I actually went and did a bit of research about how some churches actually put up certain advertisements about themselves, and some of them are jokes, please, I hope so, and other ones are real, I'll tell you which ones are real, which is quite shockers, so we can put up the first one, I'll just get out of your way, so it says the Community Baptist Church, Easter comes once a year, how often do you, okay, (laughs) next one, welcome to the Little Hope Baptist Church, exclamation on Little Hope Baptist Church, Next one, too hot to keep changing sign, sin bad, Jesus good, details inside. (laughs) Next one, church shopping, we're open on Sundays. (laughs) Then, I love this, hipster Jesus loved you before you were cool. (laughs) And then, yeah, I'll sort of read that one, (laughs) it's difficult to explain. (laughs) Yes, I know, I know, this is my humor, I'm sorry, this is my humor. And then the Devil's Hunter Ministries. This is a legit advertisement, okay? I want to visit that church. And then, this may touch a few nervous points. Give me a spouse or I die. (laughs) And I think that's it, yeah. (laughs) So um, I'm not going to make eye contact with regards to that last one. But uh, it's just amazing to see how much effort and thought goes into advertisement, how much effort and thought goes into portraying a picture just to draw people, and really, like, churches across the globe every year take so much time just to sit and strategize about how they will draw people in, about what will work best, you know, seminars, conferences, books, songs, lights, camera, action, all the things so much effort goes into this. And I've seen this firsthand. I was privileged enough to be able to be on the Justin Live set for a few times, just helping out with setting up nothing glamorous, like not the editing all the guys get paid to do. I was just carrying the heavy things and, and, and moving things, not near. <laughs> just, yeah. And it was just incredible to see. They take days and days just to edit a video. And it's, and it's amazing stuff. And with the research I did, it I call it research, but actually it was just Googling, um, and every gra- every great sermon starts with, I went and Googled. And I came across an article, and it stated there that there, w- there was a certain group of people that started this Christian ad campaign, and it was, it, it videos, everything, they even had one section called Text and Good Vibes, and you think, ugh. Um, texting good vibes, awesome, the budget that they had for this Christian ad campaign was 100 million US dollars, it, I did some maths, again, Google did my maths, and it said, it came across about 1.8 mm-hmm. billion rand that they had just for marketing, just for all these ads, so for all the marketing students, imagine your future boss coming to you and saying, "Listen." He has 1.8 billion Rand. Please advertise us. (laughs) And it's awesome to see like they would give these baskets and and gifts and hampers and everything. And I sort of assessed what we do as Josh Jen. And was like, (sighs) we give coffee. (laughs) Free coffee. I mean, that should count for something. We give it a little slip they take home as well. But again, it just came back to that thing of how much effort goes into portraying a picture. But the real question is, what is going on on the inside? Because marketing can really blind a person. If you think of the Verymark adverts, you know, I don't know if you have. Um, and if, you, if there is a person working for Verymark here, I'm not. I'm just speaking out of experience of the ones in Johannesburg, not Bloemfontein. (laughs) You would would buy the products, it's plastic, awesome, lacquer, it would work for a week and then it would crash. But it's sort of like that. And you find this in so many churches around us. Even in our own lives. We would function in a way. We would paint this picture. But then Jesus comes and he asks, what's going on inside? Is there life? Is there a heart pumping? Is there something working? Not just show the glitz and the glam. Is there something working? And we see this in Sardis. We read this now. which Jesus says, you're dead. You've got the reputation of being alive. But you're dead. And imagine, picture this. If a church truthfully advertised the current state they are in, or if they truthfully advertised what's going on. So I wrote down a few years, if I would be at church like that, I would do like, I would say, come worship, but please stay in your chair. Come worship, but please, by all means, do not stand up and come to the front for worship, but come worship. Second one, come, we have the best coffee, but then they serve (laughs) re-coffee. Or they would say, Come, be part of our family. But we only see each other on Wednesdays and Sundays, mostly. Or the last one, come to us. Your attendance matters more than your obedience. Imagine if a church really said that. If they really advertised what's going on on the inside. And so as we move on, that was just my introduction. Um and press buttons here, sorry, I'm figuring out how Mac is working, um, all right, so I'm going to take us verse by verse, just through this, this piece of scripture in Revelation, and, and really, my prayer is that we would see Jesus this morning, that it wouldn't be the preach, it wouldn't be anything I say, it wouldn't even be the worship songs or anything, but I am trusting that individuals will meet with Jesus this morning that heart would be touched, not because of me, because of the Lord. And so as we go, first verse, Revelation 3, verse 1. So Jesus is speaking here to the church, and it's it's John who wrote this, and it's it's a revelation he got from Jesus. And he, he, he writes and he says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. And Jesus is addressing the current state of this church in Sardis. And it's interesting that, This church in Sardis actually had it all. They were doing well financially. They were prospering physically. They were actually, at that time, considered one of the most wealthiest and best defended cities in that region. They had a good reputation. Everything was going well. And then Jesus came and said, "Uh uh-uh, inside. What's going on inside? And I thought of an, av- an AVO at that point, reading that verse. So, those who love AVOs, you would buy an AVO. It would be like ripe and ready. It would have the sticker, everything. It would be on special. You think score, yes. You get home, you cut open your AVO. It's brown, it's miff, the sisters, haha. And it's this example of Jesus says, I know, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. And you cut up. Open that avo, it's green on the outside. Inside it's like, it's lifeless. And what appears to be healthy on the outside is actually dead and lifeless on the inside. And I really believe that this church in Sardis can be such a great example for us, not only as a church, but as individual believers as well. And the guys have all said it before, that Scripture was written for us, not to us. And so as we read that, in, in Timothy we read, it, it's profitable for all Scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable for teaching, for reproofing, for everything that is great. That is Scripture. And so we need to take this, I don't, not just as a caution, but I actually think as a warning. To almost use this church as an assessment for our lives. And ask ourselves, Yo, am, I, am I living on the outside? But am I dead on the inside? I'm constantly asking myself that question. If I, even if I've got bad breath, it's like something's dying. <laughs> and so I think we need to ask ourselves, you know, like what could be the signs of a church that is dead? Or what, how does this look like? What brings death? And I would sum it up in these few points it's when a good reputation matters more than a bold witness, when religion takes the place of relationship, when convenience and comfort overrule sacrifice and faith, and when tradition has a louder voice than the Spirit of God Himself. And I love it that even one writer, in, in, um, he called the church in Sardis, the perfect model of inoffensive Christianity. And another writer, love this guy, he's an English evangelist called G. Campbell Morgan from the, uh, from the 1900s. He said that the church had come to a place where it lived before men rather than before God. More anxious about their reputation in Sardis rather than their reputation in heaven. Now that's why I say that this church can be such an example to us, such a just a caution, just a check of: Am I living for heaven? Why am I living here before men? You'll be tested before men, but man, the true fruit will be in heaven one day. And so that's for a church. How, like, how do you gauge that life in church? But then for an individual, you know, you would you would get a friend, and and this friend is sort of like one foot in, one foot out. My lead elder in Somerset West called Richard Gordon. He calls them hokey-pokey Christians. So I don't know if you know the hokey-pokey. So basically it's like you put your right foot in, your right foot out. You shake it all about. So they're like in, out, in, out. So you would come across these, or like a hokey-pokey friend or a hokey-pokey Christian. And I think there's a gauge that we can use. And even for ourselves. And I promise you, I've fallen into this trap. I would sum it up in this way of gauging whether I, as a person, like as an individual, am I alive. And I would sum it up in this way it's those talking about prayer but never praying. Those listening to worship but never worshiping. Those who wish to belong to church but never attend. Those who come knowing what to expect but never come expectant, and those who live in the kingdom, but not for the king, and this morning, I want to ask you guys, are you alive, is it necessary for Jesus to come this morning, and say, clear, are you alive, is there something bursting in your heart, that when you speak of Jesus, All that you can do is smile. That when you think of him, is the first thought and the last one before you go to bed. Is this your heart posture this morning? Is this our heart posture this morning? And we carry on in Revelation 3 verse 2. Jesus goes on and he says to them, Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. And it's easy. It's easy that when things get tough, you sort of know how to jippo the system. You play the rules. You, it's sort of like you're the person that cheats at 30 seconds. You know what to do to get results. You know what to say. I've done this. Will you say something just to get this result? Will you speak to this person just to know, oh, this will be their reaction? But actually it ends up working against us. And there's just that old saying that, we're just off off of the Scripture, where it says, Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I've not found your works complete in the sight of my God. And it's that old saying that we're busy with the things of God, but we're too busy for Him, for God Himself. And I mean, what is function without fruit? And just that part where Jesus says, I've not found your works complete. Complete. And just in that moment, he reveals and he says, I want your heart. That is what I want. Not your works. Not your gifting. Not your preachers. Not your. I want your heart. And we see this, this this church had this good reputation. They were alive on the outside, fit. And flourishing, but then Jesus says, No, 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 a good reputation that's, that's not what it is. I want your heart because it's easy to say, Yeah, man, I'm, I'm here. Oh, yeah, Paul, I'm here for all the elders. I'm ready. I've done that, but is your heart here? I've so many times left my heart at home going to church. Really, I have. And we see that Jesus was after their hearts. He says to them, I want your heart. And we even see this play out in Scripture, the story in 1 Samuel 13, where Saul ended up not keeping a commandment which the Lord gave him. It was disobedience. And we read in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, Samuel the prophet is, is addressing Saul and he's saying, But now your kingdom shall not continue, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And where where Samuel said, the Lord has sought out a man after his heart, it was a reference to David, who would later become king. And we see this in 1 Samuel 16, verse 6 to 7. You can put that up. He says, when they came, and this is now where God instructed Samuel to go and anoint the next king of Israel. This is a big moment. And Samuel goes, and and he comes before the house of Jesse, which is David's dad. He says, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, which was the eldest son at that time. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or in the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so that's why I say that we see Jesus addressing this church and he's saying, I'm not looking for the outside. It's awesome if the outside is looking great. Lacquer, great. But is the heart, what is the heart condition? Is the heart alive? Is your heart alive? Is it burning with passion? Is it truly submitted? Is it obedient? And we see in that scripture that the obedience was instrumental and disobedience was detrimental. Man sees outside, but only the Lord, only the Lord sees inside. And I've tried to fool God so many times. We just come before him and it's like, Lord, here I am. (laughs) And you just know that he's laughing. Because he knows what's going on. It can be real before him. He wants real. He wants a soft heart. He works with soft hearts. And you can just imagine that long before David was anointed king, God chose him not because of reputation, but because he was after God's heart. His heart was burning. I really believe that if our desire is to chase the Lord's heart, to say, God, put your heart in my heart, not even my own heart. Put your heart in my heart. Man, imagine. Imagine what Bloemfontein would look like if every individual in this church chased the Lord's heart without compromise. If every individual obeyed without compromise. Every individual prayed, prophesied, worshipped. Imagine, I'm dreaming for this town, for you guys. Are we alive? (laughs) Is your heart burning for the Lord? Not just the flame. Man, is it gushing out? Are you ready that when they say there's a prayer meeting, you say, can I lead it? under submission, obviously, of the, of the leaders. That when they say, Yo, is there maybe someone with a testimony? You've got seven lined up. Not because you want to look good, but just that you've been so expectant for what the Lord wants to do and has done in your life. That when the worship leader says, lift up your hands, you're jumping for the Lord. Only for the Lord, not for man. And I'm preaching this to myself. I promise. <laughs> and we go on in Revelation 3 verse 3. Jesus carries on and he says, Remember then that you've, what you've received and heard. Keep it and repent. And here Jesus is charging them. And he's saying, listen, remember the gospel. Remember the faithful men that have come and have poured into you as a church. That have brought the word, that have been preaching grace and mercy. Remember that I am grace. Remember that I am mercy. He's saying to them, Remember my goodness. Remember that I am on your side. Remember what you've received and keep it. And I remember my wife. She's still alive, so that's why. I remember her. And in the first little part of our marriage, we haven't been married long, so that's why I said the first little part. In the previous preacher I said every morning, but yeah, it wasn't every morning. But basically every morning, I would say it was about a 95% success rate. I would write her these little sticky notes. On her way to school, I would Put it in a lunchbox, and I would pack her lunch almost every night, and then be a good husband because it's something I saw my dad do. So I thought, I want to do that. So I pack her lunch and put a little sticky note, you know, like "Exlilio" or signor later, or "Je lek like moje van vandag or just "Cool man" or whatever, you know, <laughs> uh, whatever, yeah, whatever came to mind. I wrote, and I kept on doing it for a while, and then it's it sort of just faded, and not because I loved my wife less. I mean look at her, I can't, (laughs) but it was, (laughs) but it was, it was just sort of as if, like, I came to this place where, but she knows I love her, she knows she's cool, she knows the the Lord loves her, she knows I'm her husband, so I just sort of stopped doing it, not because we ran out of sticky notes, we actually got this five pack of sticky notes, (laughs) so we had more than enough, but here the Lord is saying, Remember what you've received. And I thought, Yeah, man, I've re- I received a wife. I need to keep her. I need to keep on pursuing her. And Jesus is saying, Remember that you received the gospel. We need to still pursue the gospel in a sense. We need to pursue the Lord. We need to come and give our hearts and say, Lord, I've committed my life, but what more? How much more can I give my heart? And he says, not just remember, but keep it. Keep it, keep it close. And so then I started writing sticky notes again. And he says, repent. Repent. And you just love that scripture in Acts. I didn't give it to you, but that scripture in Acts where it says, repent. So that times of refreshing may come. And it really does. There's such a negative connotation when we repent. And it oftentimes sucks to repent. <laughs> like it's just like, come on, Lord. Because nobody wants to mess up. But man, when we come and repent, and we turn and we change, it's refreshing. When we come and say, Lord, soften my heart. He will. I promise you, he will be faithful if our hearts are open. Because just as Jesus says, if you will not, there's grace and there's mercy. So much grace. Next scripture in Revelation 3, verse 4, where Jesus goes on and he says, Yet you still have a few names inside us. People who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And here the Lord brings this hope. And he makes this honorable mention of these men who have kept the path. Of of these guys who have just have stayed true to the course. And he he makes this promise and he says, this will be the end result. For those who are faithful. For those who come and say, Lord, here's my heart. He says, they will walk with me. They will walk with me. Those whose hearts are mine and not the world's, they will walk with me. Next scripture, Revelation 3 verse 5. And Here Jesus, awesome to see that the language changes, where now he goes from the whole, and he goes to the one. He goes to the individual heart, and he says, The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father. So it's important to know, and we've all heard this, that we each have a race to run. We each have an individual path set out before us. I cannot be obedient for someone else. I cannot have a burning heart for someone else. I cannot ask. I can ask the Lord to come, but we each have our own race. And it's easy to write the success of someone else. And in a biblical sense, it's, it's quite nice, it's good, because we are a result of someone else's faithfulness. You guys are a result of men who, who've come, who've faithfully broken open something in this town, of men who've who's prayed and everything, but in the bad sense... You know, you get that uncle, or that family member. Um, I, th- I thought in my Afrikaans brain here, but you get that family member. They're like, it's always that family member at a family gathering, and then, yeah, you would pray, or they would know you're a Christian. They would know you're a catechist, and and they would they would put their arm around you or whatever they might do, and they would say, "Ach, yeah. bed, maak 'n my park work as 'n or they would say, "Alvast, leave my I said, yeah, actually bit, but my work sound but there's always that uncle or that family member. Because we're each called to contribute. We're each called to participate. Whether you're in leadership or not. I've so many times at like leaders' meetings or even in church, they would say, can some of the leaders like it's worship and you're worshiping and you're experiencing the Lord and you're quite afraid to pray sometimes, you know. Um, because she's oftentimes no, this person will respond or this will happen, and they would say, "Can all the leaders come and pray?" And you'd be like, "Yes, is someone going to go pray for that person?" <laughs> and they'd be like, "Okay, I'll go pray." <laughs> but man, a burning heart would say, "Yeah, Lord, please give me someone to pray for this morning." Instead of waiting, or even in worship, it, it, coming to the front—it's—it's it's a church tradition. But coming to the front is still something that we do for the Lord. It's a thing of saying, "Yes, let's go, let's go make war, let's go worship." We never march backwards; we always go forward. So, the when the, the elder, whoever's leading the meeting, says, "Hey, do you guys want to come forward for worship?" Yes, the chairs must be flying. <laughs> Imagine a church that is really really alive on the inside. Because if one person wins, we all win. And that's what all the guys have preached. That's what Andrew and those guys say, that if you win, we win. If you suffer, we suffer. Now I need to come to an end. Um, I just want to check, sorry. Okay, I'm going to leave that part out. Let me do it. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, Elizabeth. So there's this little poem I came across a while ago, and it's by a guy called Charles Thomas Studd, or C.T. Studd. And he's got this famous little line that says, only one life, which will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And I didn't even know that it's a whole poem. I'll quickly read it to you. I'll do it quick. Please bear with me. It's quite English. So he goes and he says, but listen to this. When I read this, I thought, man, this is a heart on fire for the Lord. And he 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 says, two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. Yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. The still small voice gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed and then he carries on and he finishes and he says only one life yes only one now let me say that I will be done and when at last I'll hear the call I know I'll say so it's worth it all only one life it will soon be passed only what's done for Christ will last only one life it will soon be passed and when I'm dying now how happy I'll be If the lamp of my life has burned out for thee. And he just goes. And it's this missionary. This guy that just broke open so many things. That said, Lord, my heart is burning. And he had his issues. He had his things. But he said, Lord, I'm ready now. I don't want to be waiting. I'm ready now. I want to ask us this morning, are we alive? Is your heart burning? And there's a certain superhero that comes to mind, just as I, as I speak of this, because it's not as easy as, yes, my heart is burning. It doesn't just happen like that. We can't go jump or, you know, like, wh- whatever you want to do, put your finger in a plug or to make your heart burn or whatever. You, you cannot do that. It's only the Lord that can do that. And there's a superhero in a movie called Fantastic Four. For those who've watched it, it's quite an old movie. I think it's 2004. And this superhero is known as, known as the human torch. And he's got this saying where he goes, flame on, and then... He's on fire, basically. It's all that it is, actually. He's on fire. (laughs) But imagine if it was that easy, just for us to go, flame on. But the Lord doesn't make it that easy. He makes it so that we pursue Him. He makes it so that we come to Him. He loves it when we come to Him, when we say, Lord, make my heart burn. Make my heart burn. And I'll finish off with this. There's a quote by a guy called Charles Spurgeon. And he said this. Of all the things in the world that can set a heart burning, there is nothing like the presence of Jesus. Of all the things in the world, there is nothing like the presence of Jesus. So if you've ever wondered, yes, man, why is my heart cold? Ask yourself, where is the presence of Jesus? Because it's only through one man in only one place that this happens. In the presence of Jesus. Is your heart burning? Is your heart alive? He didn't die for a heart that's dead. He died for a heart that says, Lord, I want to live. I want to live for you. I want to live for you.